Oh man, you know, it's a, it is a great gift that a congregation gets blessed by God with children. You know, um, and it's especially appropriate today have, to have them singing because the episode of the Christmas story that we're going to look at today involves two children meeting each other. Mary's son, God in the flesh. Zachariah and Elizabeth's son, John the Baptist, in the womb, have an encounter. And boy, that, that is what we're going to talk about today. So it's perfectly appropriate that these kids helped lead us in worship and did their part. Uh, and now, uh, friends, are you as adults, are you ready to do your part in Christmas worship? Um, our part today, what we've got to do right now, what we've got to remember, there is an audience in heaven right now. The angels love to worship God. They love to honor his, his word. They love to glorify him. Uh, and they, they love from the heavens to see that very same thing happening right here in the church. So we're going to enter into Christmas worship in just a second by opening up God's word. Um, and it's Christmas. And every time we come around Christmas, I don't know what it's like for you, uh, but I can't help but think about it as all the decorations go up to remember so many Southern California Christmases. Um, 68 degrees and sunny. Merry Christmas. And uh, what we would always do is the weekend after Thanksgiving, it was a great, um, it was a great travesty if anybody started singing Christmas songs or putting up Christmas decorations before the weekend after Thanksgiving. None of this like early November Christmas stuff when I was growing up. The very first thing that happened day after Christmas, my dad would get out the box of the Christmas lights because it was me and him. It was the man's job, me and him to get, you know, the whole roof line of our house lined up with all these Christmas lights. So, you know, being a great supervisor and father, he gave me, you know, the, I got the grunt work. I got to open up the box and get out the strings of lights. And you ever notice no matter how well you try to wrap up the Christmas light strings, it doesn't matter. So I get the thing out and it's like in a million different knots. It was my job to like put them in a big log line in our backyard and plug them in and test them to see, you know, to see what's going on. And inevitably, at least one or two light bulbs on each one of the lines had broken. So it was my job, you know, test the lights, get the broken lights out and replace it. Here's a little secret. Uh, my dad showed me in order to get one of the broken Christmas lights out, what you could do instead of just licking your fingers and reaching and grabbing it and twisting it, you could take a potato onto the part of the glass bulb that was broken and then you could screw the whole thing out and throw the potato out and the bulb. You can write that down in the little Christmas bulletin we gave you coming in. <laughs> so I'd string out the lights and then I'd hand them up to my dad. My dad was up on the roof and nail by nail he would wrap the Christmas lights around so it went across the whole roof line. Then we'd all go out in the street and at one moment he would plug it in and like, oh, look at the Christmas lights. And then inside the house all day long while we were doing that, my mom was unpacking all the inside decorations putting the stockings up on the chimney with the hangers. Um, on about every ledge, every window ledge, and almost every surface, the dining room table would get a Christmas decoration, and the whole house would get filled with Christmas cheer. My, I, I inherited from my parents a great legacy of, uh, of loving all the physical things about Christmas. But one of my favorite things about Christmas, the week before Christmas, my dad, um, he invented a Christmas holiday tradition. So a week before Christmas Eve, we would always celebrate what he called spiritual Christmas Eve. And, and every member of the family would think to themselves a kind of a heartfelt and non-material gift that each member could give to another member. So we would get out a little a Christmas card and we would think about, from my heart, 
with stuff that money can't buy and my hands can't make, what can I give the members of my family from my heart this Christmas? Um, I was about 45 years old when my mom finally felt like I had reached the age of maturity that she could entrust me with some of the keepsakes of my childhood. So she sent me a box. And one of the things that was in that box was multiple cards from Spiritual Christmas Eve. I opened them up. It's amazing how many times over and over again what I wrote in the card was a gift that I never actually gave to either of my parents, but I wrote that I was going to give it to them every year. I promised I was going to follow the rules and be a good boy. I never gave that gift, not one time. Um, But it was a reminder that the deepest and most powerful part of Christmas It's not the gifts that get wrapped up under the tree. And it's not the lights that go up on the house. There's nothing wrong with those things. But the deepest, most important part about Christmas is what happens spiritually. And that's what we're going to be focusing on in the sermon today. So I'm going to ask that you get out your copy of God's Word, and we're going to go straight to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And while you're turning over there, I just want to kind of plant in your mind where it is that we're going today. Um... What I want to show you today is how right in the Christmas story is the real and powerful and profound source of the thing that you and I need the most deeply. Some of us are totally aware of that today coming in. And some of us, I hope that as we go along in the sermon, you become more and more aware of it. One of the things that Christmas brings into our life is deep and powerful spirit-led healing. And today I want to show you all the different kinds of healing that God has designed for us and how they're right connected to the Christmas story of what happened to the very first people that experienced Christmas. So is everybody ready over at Luke chapter 1? You can stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. Um, Not because I'm saying it and not even because Luke wrote it, but the reason we stand to our feet is to put ourselves in the physical position where we're communicating to everybody else and to God. We recognize that these words come from the very mouth of God, and we're going to treat them that way. So Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 39, and then we're going to go up to verse 46, but then we're going to skip a section from verse 47 to 55 because that's Mary's song, and next week we're going to talk all about Mary and her experience of Christ. Then we're going to pick it back up in 56 and go through 66. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? Great, here we go. (laughs) Yes, don't yell at us like that. Come on. Okay, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste. We're going to come back to that. She went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered into the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, 
My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Verse 55, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now we're reading about people who were filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is here with us and alive in some of us. And we want to be filled like they were filled. And we want to have joy like they had joy. And I pray that you would empower me as I reflect and share from these words that you would fill us and that you would really grab hold of the parts of our lives that we cannot control or get hold of. And I pray that when you do that, you would bring us into alignment with your kingdom and heal us deep down. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Men, you can be seated. So if you were here last week, we talked about the beginning announcement of what would happen with John the Baptist. If you weren't here, let me try to catch you up a little bit. Zechariah came from a long line of priests, and he got the special opportunity to serve in the temple. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. He went into the very temple where God's presence was and went right up to the altar of incense. And it was his opportunity to offer part of a worship service. And while he was in there doing that, the angel Gabriel, one of God's oldest creations, who's been around and seen all of human history from before the very beginning, that very angel appeared personally to Zechariah and told him that a miracle was going to happen. That even though for Elizabeth's entire life, even the life, the part of her life when she should have been able to have a child, that part of her life had passed and she had been barren. And now that they were both old and it was impossible scientifically for them to have a child, the angel Gabriel said, God does not care about that part of science and he can do anything he wants to do. And you're going to have a baby boy. And his name is going to be John. And it's going to be your job to name him John. And while Zachariah was in there, he argued with the angel Gabriel. And just a word of wisdom, do not argue with angels. They are not to be argued with. Zachariah argued with them, and because he did, he got disciplined. He got a little time out, and he couldn't speak. And so he was unable to speak for months. And then he went home 
And even though he wasn't able to speak, John the Baptist being conceived wasn't up to him to talk about it. God did it. And so his wife, Elizabeth, got pregnant with John the Baptist. And Luke tells us that for the first five months of her being pregnant, it was something so special and so miraculous between her and the Lord that she didn't leave the house. It was just her and Zachariah and that little baby growing in her womb. That very same angel Gabriel that appeared to Zechariah five months later made another appearance, this time not to, a, not to a priest. This time he appeared to a young woman named Mary and he told Mary the most incredible news that anybody has ever heard. Mary, something supernatural is going to happen to you. Of all the human beings in all of human history, God has planned from the very beginning of time that he was going to be born into this creation. And all of human history up to this point has been leading to you. Your womb is going to be the place that the God of the universe enters into our world and becomes physical. You are going to give birth to the God-man totally divine. The second person of the Trinity was going to put on a human nature and become a child. After Mary has this interaction with Gabriel where he tells her what's going to happen to her, he tells her that the Holy Spirit is going to envelop her. She's going to have such an experience with the Holy Spirit that when that is over, she will have walked into that experience a virgin. She will walk out of that experience still a virgin and miraculously pregnant with the Son of God. After her conversation with angel Gabriel, where Gabriel also tells her that Elizabeth is also pregnant, Luke tells us that she makes haste. This means after her interaction with Gabriel, where he told her that she's going to have this experience with the Spirit, where she's going to conceive the Son of God in her womb, that in almost no time from that happening, she leaves immediately to go up into the hill country to meet with Elizabeth and Zechariah. And we're not told where it happens. Somewhere between her conversation with Gabriel and the moment that she walked into that room, a miracle happened, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, she was given a child. The Son of God was growing in her womb. And she walked into Zachariah's house. Now, notice she didn't greet Zachariah, and the reason she didn't greet Zachariah is because he could neither talk, but he also couldn't hear. We find that out because when they're, uh, um, when they're going to circumcise him and they are asking uh, Zachariah what John the Baptist should be named, they can't just ask him. It says that they signal to him, what do you want this baby to be named? And that means he couldn't talk and he couldn't hear. So Mary doesn't say anything to him because he couldn't hear it anyway. But what she does say, she greets Elizabeth with a greeting. And what Luke is telling us is that when Mary entered that house and when Mary greeted Elizabeth, Elizabeth tells us when Mary's voice hits her ears, simultaneously two things happen. John the Baptist, pre-born, a little over five months old, in her womb, is quickened. All of you moms out there who've carried a baby know what it's like to feel that baby kick and punch. But you do not know what it's like to have your baby filled with the Holy Spirit in your room and for him to leap. And not only did he leap in her womb, but then it says that Elizabeth also was filled with the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist is in her womb, filled with the Spirit. And Elizabeth gets filled with the Spirit and out of her mouth, 
comes this blessing. Mary, blessed are you. And Luke tells us that it blurts out of her mouth. She exclaims it with a loud voice, which means the Holy Spirit is moving in a special way between a mother and her preborn child. What's happening to John the Baptist is also happening to Elizabeth. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. And right out of their mouth comes worship. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And what Luke is telling us, Jesus, in Mary's womb, who's at this point moments old, days old, weeks old, but not months old. Jesus is in her womb. And Jesus and John the Baptist, Jesus in Mary's womb, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, Luke is telling us that they, two pre-born children, have a moment together. And Jesus, even though he's just barely physically in our world, reaches by the Holy Spirit out of one womb across the living room of Zechariah and Elizabeth's house and touches John the Baptist. And when that happens, and I just want to ask you, When's the last time that happened to you? When is the last time the Holy Spirit touched you so powerfully that what happened to you was a whole life experience filled with exulting joy? And if it's been a long time, or if you can't remember it, I hope this sermon, and I hope what we've just looked at in the Gospel of Luke, sort of stirs us to recognize The life that you and I live right now on a day-to-day basis is not the way it ought to be. There are many, many things about our lives that are twisted and out of joint and disconnected. So Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit and John the Baptist is filled with the Spirit. Mary breaks out in this song. She's already had her experience with the Holy Spirit because her experience with the Holy Spirit left her impregnated with Jesus. And so out of her mouth comes poetry. Right here in the first chapter of Luke, multiple times, the Holy Spirit moves on people. And when the Holy Spirit moves on people, some of the most elegant, beautiful, poetic, powerful language comes right out of their mouth. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Days later, the whole town is gathered at Elizabeth and Zachariah's house, all prepared for the circumcision. And it's typical tradition that they wait for a little while to name the child, because oftentimes in the Bible, names meant something. Um, Like, for instance, uh, Esau. Uh, Esau's name means red, and, you know, part of uh, Esau's um, physical properties. Esau was a redhead. Uh, he also had a kind of, he was also sort of red in his skin. So by waiting until a few days after the baby's born, they could give a name that was indicative of something. A, a baby was born named Laban. Laban means blonde. So oftentimes they would wait a week to name the baby because you would look at the characteristics and then assign a name. But that wasn't going to happen in this case. In this case, tradition said they were going to name this child after his father. Let's name him Zachariah. And there was a lot of people there. That's what Luke tells us, that the news got out about a woman being pregnant that ought not to have been pregnant and now a baby being born, that was a real shocker. And everybody's there for the party to hear the name. And Zechariah can't talk or he can't speak and everybody's prepared. We're going to name this baby Zechariah. And so they asked mom, Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, no. 
Somehow, even though he couldn't talk or hear, he had communicated what happened when the angel Gabriel gave him instructions. This baby has already been named, and this baby's been named by God. Your job is to assign this baby the name that God has assigned. Call him John. And so Elizabeth says, I don't care. All of you people think his name should be Zachariah, and that is not what's going to happen. She does what her husband's instructed her to do. His name is John. But they don't listen to her. Zachariah, you know, somehow through hand signals, what do you want the baby's name to be? And he's give me something to write on. And he writes right on there. His name is John. It's already happened. God's named this baby John. That's his name. And as soon as he confesses that, his mouth opens up. And what's the first thing that happens? He is filled with the Holy Spirit. And Zachariah also breaks out in this amazing song about what God has done in his life and what God is going to do through this boy. And remember, Luke wasn't there that day. Luke isn't kind of rapidly telling you kind of uh, fact by fact in kind of a crazy or confused way about all the things that are happening. The Holy Spirit's showing up everywhere and people are singing songs and getting filled with the Spirit. Babies are leaping in the womb and then this and then this and then this. That's not what's happening. This is decades later. Luke has talked to people. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think Luke had to talk to to find out the emotional condition of John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb? Why exactly did he jump that day? Who do you think that Luke could have talked to to find out about that? Luke carefully talked to the eyewitnesses, read the accounts that were written down, and perfectly and in an orderly way put together the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he says he does it for one reason. He does it so that the person who he's writing the book to, which in God's sovereignty and right now, that person is you. Luke wants you, the person sitting in your chair, to be certain, not guessing. Not like, I'm pretty sure that the Christmas facts are true. I, yeah, I think so. No, Luke is trying to, Luke is writing it down so that you can be certain. This really happened. And in Luke's, Luke's mind, under the, under the power of the Holy Spirit, when he sits down to tell you everything that happened because of Jesus Christ, the first child that Luke wants to introduce you to is John the Baptist. And after Zechariah's song, it says that that, that little five-month-old child in the womb is filled with the Holy Spirit and would live his whole life filled with the Holy Spirit. And when he grows up, he's going to have a powerful ministry, a spirit-anointed ministry. And that spirit-anointed ministry was one thing. He would lose his head over it. He was definitely a radical. Better preacher than me, that's for sure. And the core message of his sermon was turn back to God. Come back home to God. Be forgiven of your sins and come back home to God. See, the Bible proclaims this message not just to them, but to us. And I just sort of wonder, does anybody think that a ministry like John the Baptist, a John the Baptist sermon, if, 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 you know, if we could have a whole record, or if John the Baptist had a podcast that we could listen to, does anybody think that John the Baptist sermons would be real relevant to us today? I think they totally would. 
Because John the Baptist was preaching and proclaiming exactly where you and I can find deep and holistic spiritual healing. Because all through the Bible, John the Baptist's message would be the same as the rest of the Bible's consistent message. You are an amazing creation of an incredible designer and artist in God. He has made you incredibly complex. And at the very, very deepest part of you, you have a soul. Mary talks about it. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. See, even though John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb couldn't hear Jesus with his ears and he couldn't reach out and touch Jesus because he was in there, John the Baptist is exactly like you and me. We don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ because we can hold his hand and look into his eyes. That's not the way it is. The way that you and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ is the same way that John the Baptist did. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convinces us that Jesus is real, that his love is for us. When we read the Bible, it feels to us like God himself is speaking right to us. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is what brings us into intimate union with Jesus Christ. And you know, this is the entire purpose of the human race. The one reason why you and I were created is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the part of you that is made to have a connection with God is your soul. And the Bible teaches that because of sin, our souls have been severed from our relationship with God. And in our own power, we cannot reach out and touch God. We cannot reach out on our own to have a relationship with God. Only by God doing a miracle in us called regeneration. Only by the Holy Spirit resuscitating back to life our spirits. That is the only way that we can have a relationship with God. But here's the problem. God has made us out of, uh, to have component parts. We are a relationship of relationships. Because even though our spirits are severed from God, they're still alive. And your spirit has a job to do. Your spirit is the leader of your life. God has ordained you to be a hierarchy. I'm going to use a football illustration. Your, your spirit is like the head coach of your life. And as the head coach of your life, your spirit calls together all the other component parts. Your mind, you've got a powerful mind. I don't need to convince you about that because we know by people that have mental illness, is that a big problem or a little problem if your mind starts going down a pathway that's destructive? Can't your mind take you to terrible, terrible places, can't it? You've been given a powerful mind. And that mind, we know chemically now, your mind is what floods and fills your body with emotions. Your mind creates the internal emotional climate of your life. Has anybody ever been in the middle of an emotional climate that you wish you were not in and you wished your mind could get you out of that situation? Anybody ever had that happen? You were made for your spirit to know God and to submit to God. And then you were made for your spirit to exercise head coach leadership over your life so that your spirit was in total command of your mind so that your mind only ever thought what was right and good and noble and true and holy and just and that was all that would fill your mind. Does anybody right now wish that the only thing that would ever fill your mind is what's right and just and holy and good and true? Spirit giving leadership to your mind and your mind submitting to your spirit and then your mind turning 
taking leadership of your emotions and flooding your life with emotions. Emotions like love. Emotions like joy. Emotions like peace. Does anybody wish that the only emotions you ever experienced were love and joy and peace? Doesn't that sound like a dream? But the truth is, that's your home. You were made so that those would be the only emotions you experience. Love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Self-control is what you were made for. Could anybody this Christmas use a little more self-control? That's healing, you know. And John the Baptist would have this message, turn back to God. Come back to God. Only God moving at the deepest part of you, giving you a new spirit. Only God doing that. Whereby then you could open up this word and this word would be effective. And what would happen is Romans 12 would happen to you. You would be transformed. Your life would be healed by the renewing of your mind. Because the Spirit is taking this word and receiving it, rewiring your mind. And then as the word gets into your mind, you renew your mind, you, get, you regain control of your life again. Your emotions aren't spinning out of control. Your body, your feet aren't taking you down pathways whereby your Father, your Heavenly Father, never intended you to go. And that's the life that you and I were made for. Can't you see how far off we are? Doesn't it make sense then why Christmas is such a celebration to say, who needs, who celebrates a Savior coming except the person who really, really knows that they desperately and deeply and eternally need saving? That's the Christmas message that John the Baptist came for. But see, it's more than just individual. When Zechariah is in the temple and the angel Gabriel tells him what his ministry is going to be, it's going to be more than just individuals. He says he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Does anybody think that the ministry of John the Baptist in 2021, does anybody think that we could use the hearts of the fathers turning back to the children? I mean, do you know what an epidemic we have in the United States of America in 2021? How many children are growing up without a father? Or how many children are growing up in a household where the father might be physically present, but spiritually he's in another world? Does anybody think that if God were to move by the Holy Spirit and John the Baptist's sermon would be effective, and what would happen in our day and age is a whole sweeping movement of fathers who would come back home to their families and say, I am the spiritual leader of this home, and what I'm here to do is to flood my house with the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit, love and joy and peace. And John the Baptist got that. John the Baptist grew up in a house where his father Zachariah was filled with the Spirit and his mother Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and he was filled with the Spirit. And would anybody love to grow up in a household where every member of the house was totally filled and fueled by the Holy Spirit of God? Anybody wish your house was like that? Anybody's houses need healing today? It's the message of Christmas. John the Baptist also, Zechariah was told by the angel Gabriel that his ministry was going to be like the spirit of Elijah. 
Elijah got a call to ministry at a time period when the king, the ruler and leader of the people, had replaced the worship of God with the worship of another God and came up with all kinds of rules and regulations about why the, the, the laws in the Bible ought to be disobeyed. And a whole different set of beliefs would come about. And John the Baptist was the same way. There was a wicked king, Herod. And John the Baptist's ministry was partly to, say, to point to his national leader and say, you're going the wrong way. Now, I don't need to even go very far into this. We just read a story where a child in the womb had communication with Jesus Christ and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we live in a country where many, many of our elites and many, many of our leaders say that what's in a womb isn't, it's up to you what you want to do with it. Anybody think our nation could use some healing? See, when this message of John the Baptist at first sounds real simple, come home to God. But in reality, it's real deep. And it leads real far. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit is, a, is setting yourself on a pathway where your spirit opens up to God and is submissive and receptive to God. God, what do you want me to do? And then turns around through the rest of your life and says, I'm going to... I'm going to think the thoughts that the Bible commands me to think. And I'm going to walk down the pathways that the Bible commands me to walk. And that in and of itself is called healing. And it can happen to a person. And it can happen to a family. And it can happen to a nation. It can. Does anybody think that the ministry of John the Baptist could be real useful in our day and age? I certainly do. I certainly do. And maybe if you're like me and you look at all these different components and you go, could my family use a little more healing? Mm -hmm. Could my own mind and my own heart and my own life use more healing? Yes, they could. Maybe what you and I can do this Christmas, take out your card and decide that you and Christ are going to have a little spiritual Christmas Eve. And instead of writing down there what you're going to do for him, you flip it. And you say, you write down. And in your own mind and heart, maybe even right now, what is it that you really, really need healing for this Christmas? And maybe, you know, maybe this Christmas is the Christmas where the Holy Spirit moves and brings that to you. Would you stand? Let me close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that I've done honor to the ministry of John the Baptist today. I, I pray that as we've all looked into your word, I pray that you would strengthen our faith that it is true and what it teaches we will do. I pray that we will not shortchange the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives and tell the Holy Spirit what he cannot do. You know, there's, boy, there's certain mental habits that I just have that no one's ever going to change. I pray that we would not do that. Give us faith to believe that the Holy Spirit alive in the life of a Christian is the beginning of a pathway that ends in total and complete renewal. And God, we want our portion of that now. Lord, I pray for anybody here, even as I was talking today, by your Spirit, you really pushed and made it real clear, this is... 
this is where our needs are. I pray that you then give us faith to take those needs and come to you like our Heavenly Father and say, God, this is what I need. You teach us in your word. We have not because we ask not. And sometimes we even ask with wrong motives and you're such a good father. You only give us good gifts. I pray that in our lives right now, we would come to you real open. We need, we need healing real bad and you know it. I pray you'd give it to us this Christmas. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.